Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. That is a, a great and grand step. And, and uh, just uh, this week, I've been reading a book about missions and missionary work in the Middle East and in China. And the, the work... It's, it's so needed around the world. The work is so needed here in our church and in our community, in our country. Uh, it, it is absolutely true. The message of Jesus brings life. And we only know the grace of God through what Jesus has done for us. And it is so life-giving and so transformative that all people everywhere need to hear about it. And as we uh, continue our study this morning and turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have been uh, moving through the book of Corinthians, talking about a small church in the first century that Paul planted and all of the challenges and corrections that they needed. But you can't help but be reminded over and over in the first chapter of Paul's expectation and hope that God's Spirit would continue to transform that church and lead them into the correct path. And that is our hope for our church as well. I hope that as we continue to draw near to the Lord and surrender our lives to Him, that we will be directed into the paths of righteousness and life and, and truth so that we would be representatives of Jesus, and, that, and, and we'd hope that that would spill over into uh, the message of the gospel going to all parts of the world. Well, we've been uh, looking at several uh, topics in 1 Corinthians, and as we move through, we're almost at the end. We're in chapter 15. There's 16 chapters, so the next couple of weeks we'll finish up 1 Corinthians, and uh, it's kind of amazing that... 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a big chapter that really focuses on the resurrection. And so you could almost say that Paul tried to keep a, a, a good topic or a great topic towards the end of his book, which is kind of what happens here. And it's also interesting that the Corinthian church was raising questions about the resurrection and because of that, Paul does spend a great deal of time talking about the resurrection of Jesus and the ramifications of his resurrection for our lives. And so we're so blessed that that was a part of this book. And I hope that you return to 1 Corinthians 15 over and over. As we began to look at this text today, I'd like to start with a, a little game that. Uh, you know, it's, it's in our culture. I don't know how prominent it is. It, it's a game that supposedly helps promote relationship and understanding of one another. Um, it's a verbal game that you do with people. It's called Would You Rather. I don't know if you've ever heard of that game. But would You Rather. It's, it's, it's a game that kind of presents dilemmas, and then you have to pick one of the dilemmas and say which one you would rather do, and then maybe talk a little bit about why you would pick such 
uh, one as compared to the other. And so I ran across some uh, interesting would-you-rathers that I thought I would pose to you today. Would you rather walk barefoot over hot coals or walk barefoot over broken glass? Eh, it's quite a, a choice, isn't it? Uh, would you rather never be able to speak again or never be able to stop talking? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Would you rather live uh, within a huge house with all the amenities and have no friends and family or live in a tiny, tiny house with lots of friends and family? I think I could pick that one pretty easy. <laughs> well, how about this one? Would you rather not shower for a whole week or wear the same clothes and underwear for a whole week? Hmm. Yeah, which one's better? <laughs> well, related to that last would you rather question, it, it, it's kind of directed to how you would treat your body and how you take care of things. If you were in Corinth, you might have heard a would you rather like this. Would you rather discard your body and live in a spiritual state? Or would you rather keep your body and have it totally renovated? Now, we live in a world where we're familiar with the Christian traditions and that we've heard a lot about glorified bodies. So we don't really have any opposition to that. But the reason I say that that would you rather might work in Corinth is that they had opposition to the physical world and the physical body and that they might answer that quite a bit differently than we would. They might say, I would rather discard my body and live in a, a spiritual state because from their perspective, the body was something evil, wicked, limiting, and a hindrance. And their hope and desire was that they, as spiritual beings, would be freed from this cage of the body and be able to live as spiritual beings. Well, Paul wants to, in this chapter, talking about the resurrection, he wants to address this question about our bodies. And this is why we should ask the question when reading this chapter, what about you? Would you rather have a body in heaven or just be a spiritual being? I think that our world has kind of lock, stock, and barrel bought the idea that we will go to a better place after we die. And that better place will be some kind of spiritual place where we just live in this kind of floaty spiritual realm. The question for us is, is that biblical? Is that God's design? And Paul kind of takes us into this question about what is it that's going to happen to us when the eternal state comes, when we enter into the kingdom of Christ. 
How will we be? Will we be just spiritual beings or will we have bodies? Paul kind of, in addressing the Corinthians, they're wanting to escape from the body, still addresses us because sometimes we buy into our belief system around us in the world thinking that, well, after death you just go to this place and you float around and, and that's a spiritual place and it's a better place. And on this topic of the resurrection, we get some very clear instruction that I hope will be encouraging to us, will be strengthening to us, will help us to live in the reality of the gospel and what God is up to rather than just kind of trying to feel our blind way around. God says something about what will happen after we die. Now, I know that there's probably many of you here that didn't come in the doors today actually thinking about dying and what kind of body you're going to have and all of those kinds of things. But, you know, death is never very far from any of us. As some of the tragic experiences of the, the, the shooting and the East Coast show us. Because death happens. The wonderful thing about the gospel is that Jesus came to address the reality of death. Jesus came to change the reality of death. And that's why his message is so important. That's why what God is up to in restoring his creation is so important. That's why understanding that he made us physical beings with bodies and why that connects with what he is going to make us be in the new world, in the kingdom of Christ, is important. And so all of this chapter tells us something that's very important about what God is up to. And for every single one of us, that should be important to us because he's the one that gives us life. He is the one we must live for. He is the one we must follow. So in this passage, yes, we're going to be thinking about a resurrection body. And I hope that you and I gain some insight and some motivation and some excitement about God's unfolding plan in this world and that we live for that. We live for him. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35 through 49. I'd like to read the whole section. Starting at verse 35. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And stars differ from stars in splendor. 
so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. So was the earthly man. So are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. What we find here in this passage are three arguments concerning what God will do in resurrecting bodies. The first is the pattern of life, the present pattern of life, shows us God's creative ability to provide bodies in the present world. The second the future pattern, second, the future pattern of life establishes new bodies with new characteristics. And third, this ultimate pattern of life flows to us from our representative heads. The last one we'll have to work a little bit on. So, first, the patterns of this life shows us God's creative ability to provide bodies. So Paul was talking to the Corinthians. They were having difficulty understanding how after death they would receive some kind of new body. Matter of fact, they denied that, denounced that, thought that what they'll enter into is some kind of ethereal, spiritual state. But Paul says there will be bodies. And the evidence for that is the experience of life as we see it even now. Of course, in verse 35, the question, how are, uh, how are the dead raised and what kind of body? Uh, Paul recognizes that something has to die before new life is given. And certainly that comes from the whole example that Paul uses of sowing seed, of planting seed. Some kind of seed you put in the ground and something dra dramatically different than that seed comes up out of the ground. I'm well aware of this because we have the garden going, and this is in the middle of the summer. And uh, uh, my wife usually starts most of the plants in the garden from little seeds. And it's still amazing to me. I hope it's still amazing to you. That you can take this little seed. And some of the seeds my wife has had up in the cupboard for a couple of years, so they're kind of older and they're clearly dead. And you take those seeds and you put them in the ground and you put water on it. I don't know how it happens, except God makes it happen. God has designed it that bodies will come, that he will provide for that seed a kind of plant, a kind of life. 
that is after his order, after his design. And Paul is saying, you Corinthians, why do you have such trouble with this? Just because you have a broken seed, you have a, a broken body, and that it's headed towards death. God has showed over and over again in his creation that he can take a dead seed and give it a new body. Isn't that a wonderful, profound picture of God's power to change things that need to arise? Paul then goes on and a little farther, and he says, God is not limited in the variety of bodies that he can make. So first he says that God will give life. He will give a body. But not all bodies are the same, and therefore God can fit entities with different kinds of bodies for the circumstances. He's not limited by the variety either. Paul says, just look around at our life. God gives animals a certain kind of body. He gives birds another kind of body. He gives fish another kind of body. All of those meet different environments, different kind of situations. Animals walk on the earth. The birds fly in the sky. The, the fish live in the water. And God is profoundly capable of making bodies for each kind of existence. So why are you raising the question, how are the dead raised? Is God incapable? Just look around. So first we see the patterns of this life show us that God's creative ability can provide bodies. And we see it all around us. That really takes us verse 35 to 41. The next part is probably a little more exciting. That's 42 to 46. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. Paul goes from the experiences of the people, of the life that we see all around us, and God bringing forth life and out of dead seeds and creating things for the sea, for the air, for the planet. And then he says, so will the resurrection from the dead be. That the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. What we learn here is that even though the resurrection is natural, some sense, pictured in creation, the resurrection, in another sense, is supernatural. I think Paul's hinting at the fact that as we see things change from something that is dead to something that is new and spectacular, when it comes to the resurrection of our bodies, it is going to be supra-spectacular. It is going to be amazing. The new body at the resurrection is like, is like bodies that are created in this world. But they will be dramatically new. And he describes this here. What makes a resur res resurrection body so spectacular? That first little phrase, the body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. 
That means that once God, God takes us and reunites us after death, when Jesus returns for, in his power and, and sets up his kingdom and we go into that place, Paul wants us to know, God wants us to know that we're going to be given new bodies and that those new bodies will not decay. They are imperishable. It, it reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Where Paul also talks about this, he says, For we know that if the earthly tent, that is our physical body, we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed in that way, we will not be found naked. In our resurrection state, we will receive bodies not built by human hands. They will be divine bodies, revitalized bodies, by the divine Spirit of God. Just as the earthly body, uh, we as believers are infused with the Spirit of God, when we receive our new bodies in a much more dramatic way, we'll be moved and empowered and motivated and fused with the Spirit of God. Our life on earth is terminated in death and burial because our physical bodies are characterized by perishability, dishonor, and weakness. The reaping of the harvest of resurrection will result in a spiritual body which is characterized by imperishability, by glory, and by power. These bodies will second be imperishable. Humans will no longer be characterized by physical decay. The Christian's building of this new body will be from God eternal. It will be permanent and durable. Like 2 Corinthians 5 once says, compared with the earthly transient physical body, the spiritual body is permanently transcendent. It stands over the effects of time and over the effects of weakness. The heavenly body is indestructible, incapable of deterioration or dissolution, and therefore not susceptible to disease or accident. Third, this new body is glorious. It's glorious in that the resurrection of our new bodies will be marked by physical strength. This is the contrast that Paul makes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21, where it says, Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, Jesus will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. A complete, radical transformation into a glorious body after that of Jesus. This is important stuff. This is powerful stuff. If you don't realize the reality of death, you will. For every single one of us. This is a dilemma for mankind. 
and the questions of what happens to us after we die. And at the very heart of the gospel is that God came and made this creation and made us as humans, as his people on this planet. And sin and wickedness entered into this world and death and destruction have resulted. But God was not finished. God is not finished. God came, sent his son, continued to pursue and maintain and uphold this world with the hopes and the plan and the direction to bring restoration and new life to every one of his people. So this brings us to the heart of the gospel. God is up to something that is real life in you and in me if we've trusted in Jesus. Our new bodies will be powerful. Our new bodies will be glorious. Our new bodies will be imperishable. Our new bodies will be spiritual bodies. By these series of statements, the Apostle Paul in verses 42 through 43, we are taught about a transformed body that is under the complete sway of God, the Creator, by His Spirit. And therefore, the believer will be permanently invigorated, unsurpassed, in beauty and power and endless energy. We will be made new, never to die again, never to display weakness again. For this is taking us to the plan of God from the very beginning. So sometimes we talk about the gospel as a way to feel better and to experience life and to know forgiveness and to meet us in our most broken place. And indeed, all that is true. But as we look at what God's plan and purpose and intention is in resurrection, we must realize the magnitude of His grace, the glory of His plan to take us. It's almost hard to believe in our fallen, broken world to take us one day and make us creatures that are glorious after the image of the Son. What Christians believe about the body truly matters. If individuals like us believe that the body has been broken and destroyed by sin, we must believe also that God has done something miraculous in the promise of the gospel. Oh, that we might be good stewards of those promises. May we proclaim and display them to the world around us. How can we believe all these things? How can Christians be assured that they will experience this remarkable transformation of quality and kind? In short, we believe it because of the resurrected one. The Lord Jesus himself. And because of the reality of the resurrection, we must be assured of a future resurrection of our bodies, a glorious resurrection and reunification of our spirits and our bodies to be in the kingdom of Christ, the resurrected one. And our new bodies will follow the pattern of Christ's 
new body. This is glorious news. This is a glorious pattern of the life of the Christian. Paul then moves into third, this discussion of the representative head. And this is in verses 47 through 49. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. Now this kind of takes us into a little bit of understanding. I call this the ultimate pattern because what we have first was the earthly pattern of seeds given new bodies that is dramatic. And then we have the future pattern when God will give us glorious, profound, imperishable bodies. But it's all built on the ultimate pattern. The ultimate pattern is the pattern of Adam in the Garden of Eden. We are all patterned after Adam. That is why we still die. That is why we're still sinful. Our characteristics are patterned after Adam. We are a part of humankind. And as Adam went, so did we go. As Adam chose to sin and rebel against God, so we went. And the ramifications of that rebellion was sin and brokenness and death. God's answer to that is to make a second Adam. And this is what Paul is saying. That we are all connected to the first Adam, one of the most... uh, Simple yet profound drawings I remember from seminary. cost me $20,000. cost you twice that much now. To learn this little drawing was this pyramid, the top of the pyramid. And Adam's up here. And because we're all connected from Adam, we all have sin and death. But the amazing, wonderful thing is that in, underneath that pyramid, God sent his son, Jesus, to be the second Adam. As death flowed to all of the descendants of Adam, including you and me, God started a new plan, set a new trajectory, a new people in Jesus Christ. And if we are connected to Jesus Christ, we receive the the flow of life, of forgiveness, of reigning with Christ, all of the benefits, as we received all the, the, the sin and corruption and brokenness that, flew, that flowed to us from Adam, now in Christ we see, receive the riches of God that flow to us as being a part of Christ. And Paul is saying that we should realize that new bodies, a new creation, A glorious existence in the kingdom of Christ will come to us because we have a second Adam who's turned everything upside down, who's completely changed the order of the world. This Jesus, who was imperishable, became perishable so that he could make us who are perishable imperishable. This Jesus 
who knew no sin, came into the world to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This Jesus, who had no broken down body and never would have experienced death, came into this world to walk to the cross and to give his life for us in death so that we who would die would rise again. This is the wonder of the gospel. This is what Paul is celebrating. This is what Paul is sharing about the power of the resurrection. God fundamentally turning upside down everything that went broken. And that means your bodies as well. What a glorious gospel. This is no fleeting hope and this is no passing dream. This is what God is doing. Restoring the world. Restoring our lives and giving us something far beyond we could ever imagine. Oh, that we would be filled with the hope of the gospel because the power of what God is doing in Christ. Reminds me of a story I heard about a pastor in China who is really known to be one of the four leading pastors in the underground church in China, Pastor Alan Young. In the early days of communism, he refused to cooperate with the three-self movement who was taking charge of the church because he did not believe unbelievers should be running the churches. He was arrested, spent 22 years in prison. For 10 years, he never heard from his family. For the first several years, he was put in solitary confinement and accompanied by regular beatings. He had no Bible, but he had some psalms that stuck with him by memory. But also, he had some worship songs he remembered. And one of them was the old rugged cross, and especially the verse about clinging to that old rugged cross until he'll exchange it someday for a crown. The hope of new life in the midst of this life gave Alan Young absolute hope, absolute strength. He was soon uh, later, after 22 years, released from prison, continues to be one of the great leaders of the underground church. And he says it was the hope of life beyond this life that carried him through. The knowledge that God was up to something, renovating and changing and restoring this world even when he was in the hardest places of this life. And I wonder sometimes, are our eyes focused on the renovation that God is up to? Or are our eyes focused on the here and now? Because if we were focused on what God is up to and how he is renovating and changing the world and changing our lives through Jesus, there would be a joy that we could not contain in our hearts. And I'm saying to you and to me, 
Let us not get focused on the world around us. Let us not grow weary in well-doing. Let us not fail to look at what God is doing. And let's work with Him. Let's hope in that. Let's give ourselves to the ministry of the gospel, to the kingdom of Christ, because it is going to be mind-blowingly glorious. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of grace and love and mercy. Lord, that you pursue us in the darkest places of our lives. You call us to yourself when it seems our hearts are running the other direction. You continue to make promises that will stand the test of time, calling for us to believe and to trust. And I pray, Lord, that you will take us and turn our hearts toward yourself. Make us devoted followers of Jesus. Fill us with the joy of standing in the promises of the gospel the power of the gospel to change this world. That day is coming. We're living in it. We're moving towards it. Lord, give us a longing for the completion of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.